Good to see you all. Good morning. And uh, it's great to be here again. Um, for those that weren't around uh, last week, he started a series of talks exploring uh, health, uh, health, emotional health, what it is to become emotionally healthy. And uh, so we're looking at what emotional health looks like for our, you know, within the context of Jesus' life. As has already been said, we're all about creating disciples, making disciples, becoming disciples, and growing as disciples, or another way of saying that, apprentices to Jesus. And so what that means is we uh, intentionally, as well as Jesus being our Lord and Savior and friend and all those things, we hold him up and look to him as our model, our template for what it means to live life well. So that's why we've been... Um, we're just looking and examining what does emotional health look like in the life of Jesus. If you remember, or if you were here, I, we started off with this book uh, that I've been reading by Peter Scacero. It should pop up. Um, the Emotionally Healthy Church, which is what I stole for <laughs> the title for this uh, series. Thanks, mate. Uh, and in it, this is kind of like the basis the base point from which we are kind of going into this series that we started last week. He said, It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You know, sit and think about that statement for a minute. It's not possible as a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's like emotional health and spiritual health are inextricably connected together they can't be separated so um and i shared a little bit last week about you know i have identified in recent past areas of my life and my emotional uh, life and health is just not been great there's been areas where i've been emotionally unhealthy or emotionally um immature and i can tell you now that's definitely held me back in my spiritual journey and following Jesus and that whole sort of formation formation process of becoming Christ-like. So going through this book that I've been reading, and by the way, get online, do buy it, <laughs> read it. It's, a, it's just a fantastic book. It's a bit of a biography. Uh, Scusaro tells his story uh, of how he has kind of grown emotionally through the process, in the process of planting church and leading church and so on but it's really really good but in the book he offers like seven uh, kind of principles thoughts seven ideas if you like for what it is for us to when it comes to or examining our own lives and our own walk with God Um, and the first of those seven thoughts ideas is what we're going to kind of look at today which is all about Looking beneath the surface. So daring to kind of peel back the layers of emotion and daring to have a look at what's below. Now, just as the <laughs> the outset here, I've got to confess, I find this topic probably one of the most challenging of all things that we've spoken about. It's just something that I'm not really good at. That whole 
introspection and uh, you know self-awareness being in touch with your own feelings i really struggle with that some people may be quite surprised with that i um recently attended a sozo session does anybody know what sozo is ryan or rob knows yeah a couple of folks know sozo it's not it's not counseling but it is it's it's more kind of like coaching um it, you kind of I was on my own in a room with another two individuals well three individuals the Holy Spirit was the fourth and uh, it's it's about them kind of coaching you through thinking and chatting with the Holy Spirit and trying to identify blockages and they can be emotional or otherwise which kind of prevent us from going forward in life and so I went along to one of those and uh, the first thing I did was give them a disclaimer and says you, you, you got your work cut out because I'm just not introspective. I, I don't really take time out to really think. What am I? What am I feeling? How? How do I really feel today? I just don't know. I, I, maybe it's kind of common thing for most fellas. Uh, women seem to be more in touch with their emotions, but that's not me. Um, but I'm learning, you know. And I think that putting myself in places where I just got to sit down and ask myself questions and and you know working in partnership with the holy spirit and trying to move forward i'm working on it i'm learning okay <laughs> help me out so another quote from peter scazzaro's book here the emotionally healthy church he said in emotionally healthy churches people take a deep hard look inside their hearts asking what is going on that jesus is trying to change They understand that a person's life is like an iceberg with the vast majority of who we are lying deep beneath the surface. They invite God to bring to their awareness and to transform those beneath the surface layers that hinder them from becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm trying to do in my life and what I want to encourage us to to grow in this morning. We are all... A work in progress, right? We're all changing on that sort of road and journey of change. We struggle with many things, you know, things like sinful tendencies. We struggle with, you know, many of us, and maybe if not all of us, bear unresolved wounds of some nature from, from our past. And the question that this series, the book, uh, is encouraging to ask is, well, what is it that Jesus is bringing to my awareness and desiring to change for me, uh, desiring me to change today. So that's kind of like where we're going with this, just so you know. But if I can just for a moment talk, talk a little bit about solitude and silence and Jesus. I did a, quite a bit of talking about this about a year and a half ago. Uh, but I just want to kind of come back to some things. Looking at it within this context is very, very much connected you know, as we read through the scriptures, um, time and time again, we see Jesus repeatedly took himself away to the lonely place, or some versions say the wilderness, or the solitary place. And the point is that he was consistently and repetitively practicing uh, what Jesus was doing, practicing this thing of taking himself away, withdrawing 
he took himself away from all the crowds and all ministry and uh, hustle and bustle of life and so forth just to be alone with his father. And it's in that place, I would argue, where he grew and became empowered and maintained emotional and spiritual health. So um, that's what we're kind of looking at. And, you know, when we read Luke chapter 4, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, passages of all. But Luke chapter 4, again, we've kind of covered this a few times. But if you remember, it was a time just after being baptized. It says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Do you remember that? The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So he's miles away from people, miles away from all the cities and everything, hustle and bustle. And he's totally alone where he fasted, so he went without food, for 40 days. And then we read how Jesus, he had this clash with the Satan. And so often, you know, when we read this story, we're tempted to kind of read this story and think, oh, yeah, that makes sense because Jesus would have been at his ultimate weak point, wouldn't he? You know, he hasn't eaten, starving, um, he's a real low, maybe emotionally, he's tired, he's worn out. And that's where Satan comes up to him, yeah, 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 that makes sense. But what if, in actual fact, that... That place of the wilderness was not, in fact, a place of weakness, but instead is a place of ultimate strength. Dallas Willard, he said some really compelling things about this, um, which I've read. He said, ain't you come up? Go on, Dallas, that's him. Most, of, most to whom I have spoken about this matter are shocked at the suggestion that the wilderness the place of solitude and deprivation, was actually the place of strength and strengthening for our Lord and that the Spirit led him there, as he would lead us, um, to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for the trial. In the desert solitude, Jesus fasted for more than a month. Then, and not before, Satan was allowed to approach him with all these glittering proposals of bread and notoriety. Notoriety. Being notorious. Is that how you say that? Notoriety? Yeah, I think. Uh, And power. Only then was Jesus at the height of his strength. The desert then was his fortress, his place of power. Now, that's just one of many places in the scriptures where we read about Jesus sort of seeking out the solitary uh, place. It was on a regular basis. Many times that we read about Jesus slipping away sort of in the middle of the night or in the early hours of the morning, first thing in the morning or whatever. We're going to have a look at Luke uh, 4. Uh, if you want to follow, uh, the words will come up. But we're going to go down to verse 42. Now this is like at the end of the day after that event that we just described. Okay, so he's come out of the desert. And this next day is just like action-packed day for Jesus. It's mad, right from the beginning, right the way through to the, the evening. Um, 
So he's been like, he's teaching in the synagogue in uh, Galilee. He's been off to another town, a place called Capernaum. And, was, uh, and he's there, he's like removing, casting out a demon from somebody. Then, whilst he's in Capernaum, he moves off to somebody else's house, a guy called Simon. He, he's healing his uh, mother in law. And this is going on all day. And even into sundown, it says at the end of the day, though, at sundown, there were people coming up to him and bringing people who were sick, and he was laying hands on them, and they were being healed, and he was casting out demons. It's been a mad, mad day. And then we come to verse 42, which is like the next day from that. So verse 42 says, at daybreak, so this is like, yeah, ridiculous o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's like crazy time in the morning. One of those times that I never see. Okay, I don't. It's probably like five, six o'clock in the morning or something. Uh, I didn't know there was more than two six o'clocks in one day. I was, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> at daybreak, then <laughs> Jesus, it says here, went out into a solitary place. And you know, when you read Mark's uh, version of the gospel here on this event, he says that he went out to a solitary place and prayed. He goes on. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So there is this like consistent pattern with Jesus. We see time and time again. He's out there. He's among all the people. He's ministering. He's doing all these amazing things, teaching. He's healing uh, the sick, casting out demons. And then he's like, he's up early in the morning or he's off for a walk into the solitary place. So he's all alone. He's all quiet. It's just him praying with, uh, praying to his father. And then it comes out of that place and boom, it's like ready to go again. It's like he's energized, he's going for it. But what I just want to look at in this passage, I just want to look at three things, three things about the emotional state of Jesus as he emerges out of that place of solitude. Firstly, if you're taking notes, he emerges with clarity about what he's supposed to do. He has crystal clear clarity um, about what he, who he is and what he's supposed to do. It said in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that's why I was sent. It's like, do you know what? I wasn't just sent here in this region, this part of Jerusalem or this area of Galilee or even just to Capernaum. There are other places that I need to go. And Jesus is saying that I have absolute clarity about who I am and what the Father wants me to do, what I'm supposed to do. And I think emotional health, first of all, comes out of that place, a place of absolute assurance and clarity about who we are, who our character is and who we are before God and what he would have us do. Secondly, he has the ability to say no to things, even good things. He has the ability to say no. There's all these people that are coming around him. And it, I mean, it must have been crazy. It was like he's built up this crowd of people following him that are coming up. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, like, stick around. Be with us. Don't go anywhere. Loads of people are asking about you. 
It's like there was this, it was an incredibly positive time for him. You know, if Jesus was someone who was just all about getting the popularity vote, or just rounding up crowds, I mean, this was just a high, it would have been a high for him. Geographically speaking, Capernaum, where it's situated, it's in such a strategic place. It was like a, um, a hub or a gateway to the whole of the northern Israel regions and actually down into the south as well. I mean, if you made it big in Capernaum, news spun out quickly and you, you know, you'll make a name of yourself very quickly across a very wide region. So it was a tremendous, really, opportunity for Jesus, if that's what he was all about. If I'm just about popularity, and they're all Jesus come and stay. And what did Jesus say? He said, ah, that's okay, I've got to move on. There's other places I've got to go. Thanks. <laughs> How many of us uh, know that sometimes good things can be the enemy of the best things? <laughs> sometimes the good things can even be the enemy of the best things. So emotional health also comes from a place of being able to say no to good things. Being fully aware that, you know what, life is quite short. And there are oh many, so many things that I can actually say yes to in this, ti- in this time or in this life. It's incredible how, just how busyness and hurry can lead to such a place of uh, deficit, you know, emotionally, uh, mentally or whatever. It was rather interesting. I was reading um, a news report. It's on a BBC News website about this whole thing. Why are we always in a hurry? Why are we always cram so much in our lives? And um, it was just an interesting news article. And it was just, in part of it, it was just saying how sometimes in society we associate busyness with importance. It's like, are you busy? Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely busy. I'm important. <laughs> and people view others who are yeah, crazy, flat out working, whatever, as, oh, they're the important people. And the people who, you know, take breaks, take it easy, or whatever, they just can't seem more as lazy. It's really weird. But it's interesting how we never see Jesus in a hurry. <laughs> it's never in a hurry. And I think it's for this reason. And it's because he had the ability to say no to even good things, even good opportunities. He would seem to be really uh, alert to the dangers and the perils of actually being overly busy. The next thing that comes out, well, we see in Jesus' state of emotion as he comes out of the solitary place, is he was immersed in God's empowering presence. He was immersed, completely filled with the Holy Spirit. In numerous places we read that particularly in Luke's Gospel, where we read how coming out of the wilderness place or out of the solitary place, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Or coming out, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus is in this place where he is just totally saturated in God's presence. I would imagine, you know, when you think about Jesus in his humanity, I kind of think to him, maybe, man, he must have been feeling quite overwhelmed at, at times about his mission and his purpose. I'd have thought sometimes in his own mind he must have been thinking, man, it's just me. And there are all these thousands and thousands of people around. And God, the Father wants me to make a difference here. 
you know, it must have well, I felt that way. Emotionally, you would have thought that he'd have felt overwhelmed and stressed and worn out and, and so on. But, and yet, he heads off into this solitary place and he comes out with utmost clarity of who he is and what he's supposed to do. He's got this ability to say no to certain things, even the good things. And he is filled, he's brimming, he's spilling over with the empowering presence of God in order to go and do God's kingdom work. How does that compare to your life? <laughs> I, you know, I, I do, I sit there and I go, what about me? <laughs> am, I, am, I like, am I like that? <laughs> if you are anything like me, then our lives are probably the opposite to that, right? <laughs> many of us, many of us, we don't have crystal clarity about what we're supposed to do, who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. We're kind of like, when it comes to my calling, why, I don't know, I just don't have a clue right now. What is that? I don't know. Instead of having the ability to say no to certain things, we feel compelled to say yes to so much stuff. As I say, I mean, if you get a chance to Google that sort of BBC thing about us, and we cram so much into our lives. And there can be good things, but then our lives just seem to be characterized by hurry. We're rushing from one appointment to the next. We're picking up all these next uh, messages. We've got to respond to these five emails. And then we've got to catch up on the last three episodes of Emmerdale. Well, why would anybody want to watch Emmerdale? Anyway, but, um, but then we've got to get out. We've got to get this other... Yeah, I hate, I hate it. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? We've just kind of got to cram so, so much in. Unlike Jesus, instead of being completely immersed in God's power and presence, uh, we feel sometimes disconnected and distant from God, as though he's a thousand miles away, and oh, I just can't hear him. I can't, I can't sense him around. And I think maybe, just maybe, that this is because our lives, it, well, this is what our lives look like. Well, well not don't look like. <laughs> we don't spend enough time in that solitary place. You know, followers of Jesus, Christians, whatever they, you want to call them, the church for you know, the couple of thousand years have engaged in these what we call spiritual practices or spiritual habits, these things done on a regular basis uh, with the explicit uh, purpose of actually being able to learn to live life uh, in a way that gives us a razor-sharp awareness of God's presence within us and empowering us and you know li- how to li- how we can live out the teachings and the way of Jesus practices like silence and solitude like prayer fasting meditation meditating on the scriptures and practicing the sabbath all those sorts of things we did a whole series on those last year so the question is when was the last time when was the last time that you actually just kind of blocked out all the noise and the traffic of life. So you, when was the last time where you was just like, nobody else was around, there was no, no TV or radio, no mobile phone. <laughs> Turn the phone off. Wow. Just you chatting through things with God the Father. Listening to his voice. Just having that sort of 
healthy prayer conversation with him. And what about fasting? When was the last time you, you fasted? You went with, intentionally went without food. Or meditated, meditated on the scriptures. When the last time did you just take time out? I'm just going to get the Bible out. I'm just going to like allow that to wash over my mind. Or maybe when was the last time you went out to a park or a bike ride somewhere and just zoned out <laughs> of life and just was there in God's presence talking with him. And the thing is, that's what Jesus' life looked like. He's out on his own, in the silence, in the wilderness, and fasting. Now, I know that sort of silence is difficult for some people. You know, if you ask Ange, being in, in the house, in absolute silence, just drives her completely nutso. She just has to have some sound, some music, some noise, TV, or whatever it is, filling the void. Uh, me, however, I, I'm quite okay with silence, and I suppose it's because I've lost my hearing over Elpira's ear, so got used to being in the, in the quiet, in the silence, but I quite like being there. But my particular challenge is actually building in good routines within those places of silence. I mean, if you come round my house, so most of the time I'm working at home, and most of the time it is, it's silence all day. And as I say, Ange would just pull her hair out, <laughs> she would go crazy with that. But that's, as I say, I need to um, work at forming good uh, repetition, healthy repetition. So, for example, starting to... Um, what I try to do now, and I've been doing this for a little while now, is trying to start my first hour of my day listening to the scriptures. I have the uh, fortunate ability to be able to stream audio to my cochlear nerve <laughs> so I can hear. And it's been part of my rehab as well. So, but starting my day off of just sort of like listening to the scriptures, mainly through the weekdays, and uh, listen to the scriptures and just chatting with God, talking to God through that. Maybe some of the things that I read or just some other things or whatever. Or um, there's been other times where I might kind of combine that with taking the dog out for a walk first thing. So I get up, get ready to go, go out, take the dog for a walk. And again, listen to the scriptures reading. Again, I'm, I've got this, I think, one of the benefits of being deaf um, I'm able to switch off the speakers so all of the surrounding sounds, the environmental sounds, are just disappear. And I can be... We went out to see Queen concert the other night. Mad, noisy Queen concert. And I can just switch off my speakers and I can be in this crazy loud place in all, absolute silence. And so I said to Ange, I'm in the place... I can feel it, you know. I couldn't hear it, but I could feel the music. I said, you know what, Ange, I could actually lie on the floor here and go to sleep here. It's like, but, yeah, so that's kind of like my, my little uh, benefit. I can go out, walk in the dog. I don't know why. Um, so <laughs> walk the dog, switch everything off, and come across really rude to all the neighbours when they go, no, oh, Rob, how you doing? Like, well, and I'm just like... So I kind of hear a thing, so... Um, but that's how, kind of, that's how I'm starting my, my days off, trying to get that routine of being with the Lord first thing. Um, the thing is, though, we are all different. 
you know, some of us are morning people. I know there's a few around here get up at that sort of crazy o'clock in the morning. Um, it's definitely not me. Some of us have young families, and so first thing in the morning, just it's just like trying to wind up the whole family and get that moving, and it's just whoa, it's wiped out. Some people are better off in the evenings. Sometimes, sometimes people are just like, that's where I just have my time or when they've come home from work it's been a crazy midday have a shower or something and it's oh, just a rest time i can just sit down now um and and that's what i think we've got to do is just like what is my routine what what is my lifestyle what is it and, and how does it fit into me with that um she i think she shared this before how she spends her time getting ready in the morning and listening to the bible and praying and so forth so she's like drying her hair and everything like this. And she's, or in, dry her hair, stop, put the Bible on or whatever, you know. So she's listening to the Bible, reading the Bible. And she also has like a journal. It's not my, particularly my thing, but she has a, a, like a prayer journal. So she's jotting down things that she feels God is saying to her, for her or for others in the church or for the church as a whole. And that's um, really been helpful. The point is we need to build in good, healthy routines, good habits. They're going to produce emotional and spiritual health. And that's absolutely vital, um, but it's different for all of us. The question is, uh, whatever your life patterns, whatever your rhythms are, however it is, however you're wired, you're a late nighter or early morning person, is there something that you can make a part of your life which is being with God. Just you and him alone. Just being with him and engaging with the scriptures and talking to him and listening to the spirit speaking into your heart and mind. Um, is there a way of making that thing an absolute non-negotiable? This is a top priority for me. I am going to make that uh, this non-negotiable thing. I've got to do it. And remember, there is no rules around that. There's no right or wrong way to approach that. Um, but for some of us, what that means is, there's no getting around it, we simply are going to have to factor in some changes in our life. Maybe that means I'm going to have to explicitly get up a little bit earlier in the morning. Or I'm going to have to stay up just a, a little bit later to actually implement that and do that. Maybe uh, for you, you need to just do, there's some simple, practical thought. Maybe you just got to go and obtain some noise-cancelling earphones. <laughs> Maybe your house is just a buzzing place all the time. And the way that you can zone out of that is just get some noise-cancelling earphones or something. Or get deaf like me. Yeah, you know, you're very welcome to join me in that uh, or do something really drastic. Turn off the TV. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to be stoned any minute now. I, I will be. But the bottom line is this. For our own spiritual and emotional well-being, we need to be thoughtful, a bit more creative about how, what things we can actually do to connect with God in that solitary place. And you know, without all the distractions, switching off the distractions, giving him our undivided 
attention, our undivided heart, our conversation, our requests, our ears to hear him. But the biggest, biggest problem, I think, for most of us, we would say, yeah, yeah, I know, I hear what you're saying, Rob, I can see the benefit, absolutely, I can see Jesus needed to do that, I need to do that. But the problem is, Rob, what? I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy, I, I've got so much on, I can't, things are so crammed in my life. Well, let me just kind of turn to uh, chapter 5 of Luke, which just to sort of shame you, if that's what you're thinking. I'm going to shame you now with that response. Uh, Jesus, he's been doing a whole ton of teaching, and he's you know, healing people, casting out demons and so on. And despite Jesus wanting to put the lid on things, so he's like, no, don't go around broadcasting this right now. People were getting to hear about him. So verse 15 of chapter 5 says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So he's really quickly becoming so popular. And there's crowds of people following him around. And, you know, they're all excited. Man, this guy, there's this kind of young prophet sort of guy, this rabbi. He's going around doing all this stuff. He could be the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. He's the Son of God. He could be. So they're all there, and he's so popular. And then verse 16 says this. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. He often (laughs) retreated to... The lonely places there. By the way, that lonely places there in the original Greek, it's a word, uh, eremos is the Greek word. Um, it's exactly the same word which was used in the previous chapter when it talked about the wilderness. You know, when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the eremos, the, the wilderness. It's also the same word that was used a little bit later on in that chapter. It, um, translated as a solitary place. where It said he got up in the morning and went into eremos, solitary place. Now, I think it's fair to say that Jesus is quite, quite a busy guy, right? I think he was fairly, fairly busy. Now, I, I don't know, we're not certain about this, but as you kind of read through the stories of Jesus, particularly through Luke here, it just seems that as you go through, as he gets more and more popular, or as he becomes more and more busy, it seems that the more and more he takes himself away to Eremos, into that silence and solitude, prayer, meditation. See, to Jesus, this was incredibly vital and a regular part of his life. And more and more, as he became more and more busy and popular. Again, for us, it seems to be the opposite. Life could be cruising. You're going along, you're doing really, really well. Maybe you're reading the scriptures every day, got a good habit in your life, praying regularly. And then all of a sudden, life seems to get really crazy, more and more hectic. All the chores around the house need to be done. You have have to take on extra work in your job. There's a new relationship that you found yourself in or... And so often the very first thing that goes is what? A time with the Lord. The first thing that goes is usually the very thing that Jesus carries as the most critical and the most top priority thing for him. And so then we kind of find ourselves wondering why I feel so 
distant from God right now? Why is it I feel so out of step with the Spirit? Could the answer be because I'm not spending as much time with the Lord in the quiet place, in the solitary place? And maybe not the, the only answer, but maybe, maybe just one of the answers. Coming back to what um, Peter Scassaro was saying about looking beneath the surface then. In his book, he says, you know, we can engage in all of those spiritual practices, like routine, religiously, so to speak. We can do all the praying and meditating, reading the Bible every single day and not look beneath the surface. Not look back in on what's going on. We can do all these incredible beneficial things and be totally oblivious to the things that Jesus is wanting to do, wanting to do deep inside our hearts, beneath all the layers of emotions and life. So let me just finish this morning bringing us back to the passage that we looked at yesterday, last Sunday, um, and I just want to extract a couple more thoughts um, regarding peeling back the layers and looking um, beneath the surface and how how Jesus seems to have that down. He just, he just seems so good at this. So we were looking at Matthew 26 um, from verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. So he's been in the towns, again, he's been amongst all the people, all the crowds, the busyness, and now he's withdrawn to a more quiet place, this Gethsemane, it's on the edge of the Mount of Olives, I understand, so it's a rural place, quiet place, and he's taken his disciples with him. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he's just now going a a little bit further on. I'm just over there. A stone's throw away. I'm just over there to go and pray. Verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The first thing you notice about Jesus is he is absolutely in touch with his feelings. There's no no question of that. He is absolutely, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm in excruciating pain here. As I said earlier, this is something which I'm not that good at. I'm getting better, but I'm not good at. But Jesus, Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, this isn't challenging to him. He's just there and he pours it out. He says it as it is. He's very much in touch with how he's feeling. And then secondly, Jesus knows why he is feeling the way that he feels. He knows why. He says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Remember last time I was talking about his cup is kind of a metaphor for what is soon going to happen to him in his life. He's in absolute and utter dread. 
his tone up inside is just filled with anxiety. And the reason was because just in a matter of days' time, he's going to be going through this horrific torture and an excruciating death on the cross. And so he's deeply, deeply upset, and, uh, but he knows fully why. He knows it. So what's the big point today? <laughs> as far as Jesus is concerned, getting away to Eremos, that solitary place, whether that is you know, alone somewhere off in the country, you know, in the country park or whatever you choose to go, or whether it's just a stone's throw away, whether it's a room in your house, something close or whatever, wherever it is, just over there, your Ramos, it goes beyond the place of just uh, prayer and Bible reading and meditating, you know, meditating on the scriptures. For Jesus, Eremos is also a place and a time for looking below the surface, a time for getting firmly in touch with his feelings and bringing those feelings before the Father. So holding Jesus, as I said earlier, we're followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. We hold Jesus up as a template, looking, you know, looking at him. How does he look between, uh, below the surface? And there are two components to it. It means we have to have this acute awareness of what you're feeling, just like Jesus did. It's like, I'm feeling, I don't know, I'm feeling really edgy. <laughs> I'm feeling on edge at the moment, or I'm feeling angry, I feel really upset, or I'm just feeling, I come through this week, I feel sad, I feel down. And it's incredibly healthy and incredibly mature or maturing to have this kind of self-awareness. As I say, I keep, I'm growing into, growing into it, identifying. You know, and I'm trying to do this is identifying what am I feeling, what is going on inside of me, and so uh, that might be for you, or certainly for me. I'm, I might be feeling particularly stressed out. You know, I, I couldn't know how to sort of articulate it, but I just feel stressed at the moment. But just as important as asking that question, you know, how am I feeling, or what am I feeling, is another question, and that goes on to say, why? Why do I feel this way? Yes, I'm feeling stressed out at the moment, but exactly why do I feel that way? Do you know we are the only creatures on the face of the earth that is able to think about what we're thinking about? <laughs> we, we're the only ones. We question and think about the things that we think about. So why am I so stressed about a meeting coming up or an appointment, a doctor's appointment coming up? Why am I so anxious about my finances? Why am I so angry with my spouse? right now or upset with my spouse why do i feel like i have to compare myself to other people all the time or why is it that you know when i see some other people succeed why do i always feel sad why do i always feel jealous about that why do i feel as though i, I have to work every moment available to us every day in order to feel important <laughs> rarely i think do we ask these sorts of questions <laughs> I think rarely we go, we go there. And I think the reason why we don't ask these 
sorts of questions. Firstly, is we're just too busy. You know, I just don't have the time, and I think that's kind of part of the reason, not the entire reason, but for me. Um, and then what happens is when we do find a little bit of time within our crammed out uh, schedules, daily schedules, is we just go fill it with something else, which is worth <laughs> switching the TV on and putting Emma down on again or something, or, <laughs> or whatever. Get back into that book that I've been reading, it was really, really good or whatever. But the other reason why I think we don't ask this question is because sometimes we're too afraid to. I think sometimes we're just too scared. We're too afraid to look between, beneath the surface because maybe, you know what, I, I might not like what I discover down there. And I think that's certainly a case for me sometimes as well. Some just don't want to deal with you know, the things that come to the surface as we start to probe. And so we avoid, we avoid introspection, don't we? We avoid self-examination. We just avoid it, avoid it, until it comes to a point where the thing just, is just screaming out, you've got to do something about this now. We just like hold it off and hold it off. Avoiding our emotions is not a healthy thing to do. Even painful emotions. You know, pain can be really helpful. Pain can be really useful, and that's you know, physical pain or emotional pain, because pain can tell you a lot about what isn't right in your life or in your body. It can tell, give you good instruction. But the thing is, well, most of us, we want to change emotionally, and particularly if we're experiencing emotional pain or whatever, you know, we want to go from feeling stressed. You know, we want that. We want that changed to becoming, you know, full of peace. We want to know ultimate peace. If we're feeling sad, we want that change to be happy. Um, so, you know, you know, in times of pain, we want change. We want change emotionally. But if we're honest, we just don't want to sit in our emotions and actually listen to them, listen to what they have to say about our life. You know, if we sat, took time out and just sat and listened to our emotions, maybe we'd learn something about life, learn something about what needs to change, what God wants to change. Most of us say, I just don't like feeling this way. God, will you make me not feel this way? Uh, and whilst I, I believe, absolutely, that's a, that's a good prayer to pray, but maybe equally important a prayer to pray is, I don't like feeling this way. Why do I feel this way, God? Will you help me navigate through that? And is there something that I need to change in my life to actually move out of this place? You see, sometimes there can be things right at the root of these emotional problems that are the result of things that um, need to be changed in our life. Uh, by ourselves, or, you know, with God's help, and we need to invite God into that process of change first before the emotional pain gets uh, fixed. So, finally, then maybe the question to ask is: Why am I feeling more and more disappointed with my spouse, in my marriage, or whatever? Maybe. Maybe, yes, it is because there's something that your husband or your wife has actually done. But maybe also the answer is rooted in some, I don't know, some kind of unrealistic expectation 
in your heart, maybe there is some kind of distorted idea that you feel that somehow your spouse has got to meet all of your, your needs, uh, you know, kind of meet all your requirements and satiate your needs, when actually only God can do that anyway. I think that there are times where God would say, yes, I want to change that emotional pain in your life. But I can't do that until we change that thought, that idea, that mindset, that attitude, that expectation in your life. But in order to to go through this, to move through this, we need to be getting away to Eremos, to the solitary place, cutting out all the noise. And then within that context, we can, and it can be terrifying for some, you know. As I say, just that fear of what what I'm going to uncover here, what am I going to see? It could be fearful, and yet it is also a great place. It is the best place, especially as Jesus helps us to realize what it is that's causing all the emotional turmoil and pain or whatever it is. But firstly, I mean, it's a, a perfect op- op- opportunity for us to become intimate with our Father to get up on his lap and get our head tucked into his chest and hear his heart beat and what is it father can you help me you know navigate through this it's so complex <laughs> that's the first thing but secondly it's also a place where we can really change and really grow and become more and more like Jesus and become an emotionally healthy church. Amen? Shall we pray?